Okay, so this is part three, which is really a continuation of the last part that we just started here on... <clears throat> we're talking about, you know, the psychics and the spiritualists and past life regression, and now we're going to be talking about afterlife experience. But we're going to start this teaching out with a lesson on hell, just a brief teaching on hell. And um, because, you know, they talk about, you know, this guy was talking about the angel of death, you know, courting, courting us to the day we die and these types of things. And he's right about this type of thing. I mean, the Bible says it is appointed in a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. But they don't believe there's any judgment. They don't believe there's anything such as hell. And the Bible is very clear on what hell is. And we're just going to talk about some of those tenets today. So, hell, according to the Barna Research Group, just over 80% of Americans believe in some form of afterlife, and 71% believed in hell. However, those 71% define hell varied from person to person greatly. According to Barna, only one-third of Americans believe that hell is an actual place of punishment. So one-third of them don't believe in, you know, really any kind of literal hell. Um, but what does the Bible say about hell? The Bible, however, describes a place of punishment for those who die in their sins. These three different words are translated hell in the King James Bible. First one is this translated hell is Sheol, which is also referred to as the grave or the place of the dead. Now, we're just going to look at some of these Bible verses where, um, I'm going to be going through quite a few of these, where, where hell is actually referenced in the King James Bible. The first one is Numbers 16.33. Just some interesting tenets of hell. We can get a little greater insight into some of the attributes of hell. And Proverbs, or Numbers 16 Verse 33 says, And they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the, uh, from among the congregation. Uh, and all Israel that were round about them fled in the cry of them, and also they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. Um, so, in this reference, this is one of the words... Um, uh, that's referred to as the you know place of the dead, evidently the pit, uh, which is defined as Sheol in this particular application. Uh, if we go to Job 24.19, Job 24.19, I'm going there as well as you are, Job 24... 19 says drought and heat consume the snow waters so doth the grave those which have sinned okay now again this this term grave is derived from the word sheol um, drought and heat consume consume the snow waters so doth the grave those which have sinned so one of a couple of the attributes of hell would be no water which we see that in the rich man and Lazarus uh, that parable, which we're going to discuss that too. So, no water and heat. So, incredible heat, but there's no quench for your thirst. There's no quenching your thirst there. Uh, Psalm 9.17 Actually, i tell you what. Hold on. There's other ones in Job we should probably go to since we're already here. Job 11.8 Job 11.8 says... It is as high as heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? So hell is a very deep place. It's in the center of the earth. The Bible is very clear on that as well. But it's deep in the center of the earth. Okay? Deep, dark, 
it's a it's a place of eternal torment, uh, intense heat, and where your thirst thirst cannot be quenched. Uh, Job ten twenty one. Job ten twenty one. Before I go whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land of darkness as darkness itself and the shadow of death without any order. Where, the, where light is as darkness. Now, I don't particularly believe that just the shadow of darkness is hell. Okay? Um, the, uh, yea, though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Okay? So that's said in the Psalms. Um, walking through the shadow of death doesn't mean necessarily hell. But hell will be a very dark place. Okay? Uh, now, the shadow, the, the whole... Um, uh, yeah, you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a whole other study we could do, and I don't want to get too too far off on that rabbit trail. But um, you know, obviously there's some there's some attributes to look at here. Job seventeen sixteen. Job seventeen sixteen. And they shall go down to the bars of the pit. And again, this is derived from the word shield. When our rest when our rest together is in the dust. Okay, so again it's referred to also as a pit. Uh, if we go to, let's see, Psalm 9.17. Psalm 9.17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Okay, so, um, this is how, you know, this is just explaining one other uh, thing about hell as far as going there. Uh, if we go to Ezekiel 31.15 Ezekiel 31.15 Ezekiel 31.15 Thus saith the Lord God, in the day which he went down to the grave, I caused a morning, I covered the deep for him, and restrain the floods thereof, and the great waters were stayed. That it goes to uh, verse 16. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall, when I cast him down to hell, with them that descended into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best Lebanon, and all that drink water shall be, com- shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. Um, now, this actually... Let's read this again. I made the nations to shake at the sound of the fall. When I cast him down to hell with them that descended into the pit. So, see, God is the one that actually cast you into hell. I mean, a lot of times you think of it only being a satanic thing. But the Lord is the one that actually does this. Okay? Based on what you've done with the Lord during your lifetime. Your decisions. Your free will decisions you made. And in this particular life that we live, it has all to do with Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. Whether you have freely received him or freely rejected him as your choice. If you read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's a gift that you either freely receive or you freely reject. Um, then it says, The choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water, shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. Now, this is interesting. Because how could you be comforted in hell? But see, you have to understand, this was written in the Old Testament. When in the Old Testament, there were, there were two regions of basically the underworld. There was paradise, which is also referred to as Abraham's bosom, which is where people went that were, I guess we would refer to as saved, prior to 
heaven being open to them. Okay, the Bible is very clear in this. And again, this is a whole other teaching. But when it says, I will cast him down to hell and descend into the pit. And then it says, And all the trees of Eden and the choice and the best of Lebanon, and all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the world. How do you reconcile that too? Because see, some people went to hell. Some people actually went to Abraham's bosom. Okay. Now, when Jesus died, it said that he took captivity captive. He took the captivity that was captive in Abraham's bosom and he brought them to heaven. Okay? That's what happened. How can we prove this? When we look at the parable, and we're going to look at that in a second, of, um, of um, the rich man of Lazarus. Okay? We're going to look at that. How was, how was Lazarus there near the rich man where he could actually communicate to him through the great gulf that was fixed? Because on one side was Abraham's bosom or paradise, and on the other side was hell. And there was a great gap, there was a great gulf between them that was fixed that they couldn't pass because he wanted him to give him some water. He couldn't even do that. Okay, so up until that point, that's the way it was. Okay, um, but when Jesus died on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood, we actually then had access into heaven. Okay, the perfect Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth gave us that access through his shed blood. Okay, and again, what I just touched on is almost a whole other study that I don't really have time to get into today, but it is, it is noteworthy. Now, another way that hell is translated in the King James Bible is from the word Hades, which is also in reference to the home of disembodied spirits. Hades refers to the abode of the unsaved dead prior to the great white throne judgment. And Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, it is also referred to as a prison in 1 Peter 3.19 with gates and bars and locks. Um, it's referred to that in Matthew 16.18, Revelation 1.18. And it's, and it's also, Hades is referred to as being something that's down in the earth in Matthew 11.23 and Luke 10.15. Another way that hell is translated uh, or can be translated in the Bible is Gehenna, which was... Theoretically and technically, the trash heap outside of Jerusalem in the time of Christ. Here the dead bodies of animals and criminals and all kinds of filth were cast and consumed by fire that were always kept burning. And thus, in the process of time, became the idiom of the place of everlasting destruction. Now, I looked this up in, in a Bible dictionary last night. And this is what it described Gehenna as, which actually was, was um, originally known as Hinnom. Okay, which was basically, which mean lamentation, or the valley, also referred to as the valley of the sun, a deep and a narrow ravine with, steepy rock, with steep rocky sides to the south and the west of Jerusalem, separating Mount Zion in the north from the hill of the evil council, and from the sloping of the rocky plateau of the plain of Rephaim. Now the Rephaim were the giants. Okay, in the Bible, always referred to as Rephaim, or not always, but there was one way they were referred to um, when David went into the uh, Promised Land. The earliest mention of the Valley of Hinnom is in Joshua 15.8 and in 18.16, where the boundary line between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin is described as passing along the bed of the ravine. On the southern brow overlooking the valley at its eastern extremity, Solomon erected the high places for Molech. Now that's how far Solomon fell away from God toward the end of his life. He actually erected high places for Molech and Chemosh, who were basically gods you sacrificed your children to. Now whether Solomon ended up getting into that, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but he did erect, erect these high places for Molech and Chemosh, which is unbelievable to me. Because here you have Solomon, who at one time was 
you know, basically God made him the wisest man on the earth, save Jesus Christ, the richest man as well, but his heart fell away because of the women. And that's the Bible's very, very clear. And he took strange wives, they were, had their other gods, and these were the gods he ended up getting into. What happens is, is when you fornicate, or when you have sex with a woman, and she is... Uh, in a false religion and God didn't call you into that marriage which is what happened with Solomon he took wives of all these people they impart their demons to you because fornication will do that like no other thing on the planet if you want to you want to get demonically infested go out and and you know fornicate with people that are particularly if they're into witchcraft you want to get demonically infested that's the best way to do it that's what Solomon did what do you get, 700 concubines and 300 wives? And these women took his heart away from the Lord. Okay? It was really the demonic component that happened that took his heart away from the Lord. The spiritual exchange that happened. Um, and again, that's a whole other teaching, but it's, it's, it is noteworthy. So, in regard to this Hinnom, uh, when, it, when it talks about Molech, these horrid rites were revived from time to time in the same vicinity by the later idolatrous kings. Ahaz and Manasseh made their children to pass through the fire in this valley. Okay, so a lot of child sacrifice took place in Gehenna. Okay, in the Bible. Uh, this child sacrifice is documented in 2 Kings 16, 3 and 2, and or 2 Chronicles 28, 3, 33 and 6. Um, and the Fenish custom of infant sacrifice to the fire god seems to have been kept up in Tophet, which was another name for this place. So this place is all about the highest abomination of the Lord, which is child sacrifice, this Gehenna. Okay, all this, all this innocent blood defiled this land, probably like no other place on earth. Okay, so to, to put an end to these abominations, the place was polluted by Josiah. Well, it was already polluted in a way, but Josiah... Um, put an end to these abominations and he rendered it ceremonially unclean by spreading over it the human bones and other corruptions. This was documented in 2 Kings 23, 10, 13, 14 and 2 Chronicles 34, 4 and 5 from which time appears to have become the common cesspool of the city. Okay, so once Josiah went in there and basically rendered this place ceremonially unclean it kind of became like the cesspool of Jerusalem. Okay, into which sewage was conducted and to be carried off by the waters of the brook Kidron. From its ceremonial defilement and from the detested and abominable fire of Molech, if not from the supposed ever-burning funeral piles, the later Jews applied the name of the valley Gehenna, which is where we get this Gehenna from. Okay? Because originally it was just called Hinnom. Uh, and this was to denote the place of eternal torment. In this sense, the word is used by our Lord and he translates this Hell, Jesus Christ, or as far as the word Jesus Christ used was Gehenna, is translated hell in Matthew 5.29, uh, Matthew 10.28, Matthew 23.15, Mark 9.43, and Luke 12.5. So that's another um, attribute uh, in regard to the hell, the hell issue. Now, if we look at the rich man in Lazarus, which is, you know, a... Let's just look at that real quick here. And that's Luke 16, verse 19. Luke 16, verse 
Okay, so Luke 16, verse 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, again, I don't think this is a parable because Jesus spoke specific names in this parable. So most likely, you know, this is not something that was just some nebulous thing that never happened. Jesus used specific names in here, okay? And he doesn't do that in other parables, okay? But he does here. So I think that's all the more reason to, um, to see this. Now, let me see here in the preceding verses... Okay, so then we, we look on, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, this is a pretty bad situation. Lazarus is in. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into where? Abraham's bosom. Okay? Wasn't up in heaven. At this point, yet. Okay? And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, so see, Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom. Where did the rich man go? He went to hell. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seen Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now he had only now if, if we're going by time here, he'd only been there a few seconds. He got to hell and he lifted up his eyes, and he was already in torments. Not just torment, torments. Okay? And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Well, why? Because he was in Abraham's bosom. That's what they called it back then. Okay? Um, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. So see, another thing is here, is um, the rich man knew Abraham, or he, he identified Abraham. He knew who he was. Okay? And he said, have mercy on me. Um... And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Now, he'd only been there a few seconds. For I am tormented in this flame. He's on fire. Thirsty on fire. Tormented as soon as he got there. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Um... Now, at this point, you know, he has all of his senses. Uh, thirst, sight, hearing, touch, memory, emotions. He has all of his previous senses that he had here on earth. Most likely amplified even. I've heard that being said many times. Um, but it's not like, you know, he wasn't experiencing the totality of everything in hell. He was able to experience it even though he wasn't in a physical body like we are now. Okay, he was still able to experience this just the same way. It's 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 very apparent here. Uh, let's see here. And beside all this, now this is this is what Abraham's saying to the rich man. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that 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 they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to you to us that would come from thence. So, here's where we get the great gulf fix. We have Abraham's bosom. We have the great gulf fix that nobody can go between. And then we have hell. And evidently, it's possible to communicate between the great gulf at that time, paradise, and, and hell. I mean, if it wasn't possible, they wouldn't be talking to one another.
Okay. So then it said, Then he said, the rich man, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Um, all of a sudden, he became a soul winner. <laughs> if you think about it. He's like, I'm, I'm in this thing for five seconds, and I'm begging you, Here he says, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. He did care about his loved ones on earth. He did, he did care. He didn't want them to go where he was at. I mean, not, that's knowable. It's not going to get him anywhere. You know, um, it's nice he thought that. Of course, it doesn't matter a thing at this point. Um, he doesn't want them to come to this place of torment. Now, I had a guy one time do a sermon, and he read this, and he says, he says, stop me when I get to verse 28. And when he, and when he said verse 28, when, when we went from verse 23 to 28, where, where, um, um, the rich man was in hell, and we got to verse 28 in this conversation, it was exactly 64 seconds in hell. And he had already found out all this information. Just something to think about. He was only in hell for 64 seconds, and he had ascertained all these things, and, and, had, a, and had a burden to even go back to his family, but he can't do it. Can't do it. Um, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Which is the word of God, if you think about it. Okay? The Word of God is what sets you free. I mean, the Word of God is what they should have paid attention to in, in the lifetime that they lived, but they didn't. They chose to reject it. They chose the world. And as a result of that, now this man's in, in hell, in Lazarus. He's in Abraham's bosom. And then the rich man says, And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. But guess what? One already has rose from the dead. Jesus Christ. If you think about it. But he's true. Abraham is true because one did rise from the dead. And still most people don't believe it. Still most people don't follow Jesus Christ. They don't choose the narrow way. The Bible says, if you love me, obey my commandments. They don't choose that way. They choose the, the big guy in the sky, maybe, and, and I want to just do whatever I want to do, and my pastor's preaching me these nice flowery sermons, and I don't have to worry really about sin. All that's under the blood. doesn't matter. I'm forgiven. I can live whatever kind of way I want to live. I can live like the devil. I'm still going to heaven. i got to get out of jail free card pass. It's okay. And they have no chastisement in our life from the Lord. And the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. If you be, and if you be without chastisement, you are a bastard. So these are people that live the life whatever the way they want to live it. Have no conviction of their sin. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron, according to 1 Timothy 4.1, where it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, this is what we're talking about, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, this is what we're talking about, they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. <clears throat> when you have your conscience seared with a hot iron, you have no more conviction of sin. Oh, I can do whatever I want. God forgives me, loves me any way I want. And so, Abraham makes that point. He says, if they will hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And how ironic... That is, Jesus Christ is speaking this passage before he dies, and yet he even dies, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, and that still doesn't convince the world, for the most part. Some, yes, praise the Lord, some. 
But I just thought that, that was interesting. So that's a that's a very descript thing about hell uh, that we just saw there. Um, and then this goes on to say this article that I'm reading from hell was not created for humans but for Satan and his angels which is true according to Matthew 25.41 something to bear in mind God gave his son to die for mankind so that all who would believe in him can have eternal life John 3.16 he does not want anyone to perish and that's his will and I want any would perish 2 Peter 3.9 but those who reject the sacrifice of the Lamb of God will be subject to the punishment their sins deserve according to Revelation 21.8 God is merciful and patient and full of love but he is also perfectly holy and perfectly just and nothing that defiles will be allowed into heaven uh, you can't get to heaven of your own merits or of your own works you have to go through the Lord Jesus Christ through his shed blood death, burial and resurrection the only one that ever lived a sinless life on this earth ever Okay, he paid our sin debt in full, but it's a matter, will we freely receive or will we freely reject? Will we confess our mouth with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead? Then we shall be saved, according to Revelation 10, verse 9 and 10. So this is, this is how it works. So while many Christians will say, yes, I believe in hell, we do not often act like it. Now I'm preaching as much to myself as anybody. Okay, I'm not judging anybody, but it's true. If we truly recognize that the unsaved people in our lives might die tomorrow and end up in eternal punishment, we might appreciate the urgency of telling them about the good news of the gospel. Now I also think you have to temper this with being led of the Spirit. You just don't take a Bible and start bashing people over the head with it and basically forcing some witness down their throat. I, I guarantee that's not the way you approach my parents. No, you even... You have to be very careful with certain people because certain people will become offended instantly. And then it's like the Bible says, a brother offended is harder to be one than a city. You just can't, you can't do anything about it. And so you have to, many times, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit open that door so that you can't, and a lot of times a lot of preparatory prayer has to go into that before that door is ever even opened. So... Temper that, what I just read, with what I just said as well. I, I think it's biblical. Um, hell is not a scare... Well, actually, it is a scare tactic in a way, but it's a real danger that faces every one of us. The great gift of our loving God is freedom from punishment and eternity um, with Him in heaven. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Okay. And the Bible says, fear not man who can just kill the body, but fear, basically, the Lord Jesus Christ who has the ability to cast both body and soul into hell. But that's not a verse that's ever preached in Smiley Joe Olsen's church. I guarantee you that. Oh no, we're going to stay away from that doctrine. That might offend somebody. It might affect my paycheck. So, the last part of this is this, uh, called a new lease. And it's this guy, this, this guy, this wonderful visionary man of the devil, um, one of the world's most intriguing scientists proves the existence of the soul. Well, I'm so glad he cleared this up. Cardiologist Pim Van Lommel did a mon... Pim? What a weird... Pim. Pim Van Lommel did a monumental study of near-death experiences which raised fascinating questions about life after death, DNA, and collective unconsciousness, and everyone's karma. Now remember, this is about from an unsaved publication as you can get, but I think it's noteworthy because this is also another major gigantic deception that is permeating even through Christianity that most Christians don't have an answer for. When The Lancet published his study of near-death experiences, Dutch cardiologist Pim Van Lommel couldn't have known it would take 
make him into one of the world's most talked about scientists. It seems everyone wants to know about the man who managed to get a study of this controversial topic published in one of the leading journals of medical research. Yet it is not really surprising that his publication in 2001 created a stir. Never before had there been such a systematic study between study been conducted into the experiences of people who were declared dead and then came back to life. And never before had we seen such a clear illustration of how these people's stories could affect our way of thinking about life and death. Uh, one account reads, you've heard accounts like this, I was looking down at my body from above and saw doctors and nurses fighting for my life. I could hear what they were saying. Then I got a warm feeling and I was in a tunnel. At the end of the tunnel was a bright warm white vibrating light. It was beautiful. It gave me a feeling of peace and confidence. I floated towards it. The warm feeling became stronger and stronger. I felt at home, love, nearly ecstatic. I saw my life flash before me. Suddenly I felt the pain of the accident once again and shot back into my body. I was furious and the doctors had brought me back. No, actually you, oh, if you, most likely the guy wasn't saved. Um, he was done a great favor as opposed to plunging into hell. Um, now, what I want you to understand about this is that a lot of people have these experiences, but you know the only ones you ever, ever, ever hear about are the ones with the white light at the end of the tunnel and these angelic beings there beckoning me in. And these are people that are totally unsaved, don't want anything to do with God, and then all of a sudden they, they have this near-death experience. Okay? But you know there's a whole other classification and categories of people that didn't have good things happen where they actually went to hell, these types of things. We don't want to talk about those, though. Oh, no, no, no. Let's just talk about the light, fluffy, airy ones. If you were Satan controlling this man, who would you talk? Would you talk about the ones that revealed the true nature of hell, that might put the fear of God in people, may make people think that maybe Jesus Christ was who he said he was? Would you want... No, 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 no. We, we want to do everything we can to question the Word of God. Because everything about this study would make you question the Word of God if you believed any of it. Just about every description of a near-death experience is beautiful. Just about. Yeah, whatever. There's a whole bunch that aren't. whole bunch. But they don't want to talk about that here. And again, you talk about skewed data. You know, he can put before you whatever he wants to put. He can release whatever he wants to release. Okay? He can just dismiss the other bad ones as just aberrant things. We don't want to talk about those. It says, people feel connected and supported. They grasp how the universe works. They experience unconditional love. They feel free of the pressing concerns of earthly existence. Who, wants, who wouldn't want such an experience? It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Van Lomo laughs. Yeah, he's laughing. But it's not always easy to deal with. When people come back, they often have the feeling they're being imprisoned. And they can't... And it can take years for them to be able... Here's him again in deep thought. It can take them years to have the courage to integrate the insights they've gained into their everyday life. So it's this wonderful, wonderful experience, and all people really want to do is go back to it, and they don't understand why they got sent back here. You notice he didn't mention one thing about Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with salvation. Everybody's going to the to the you know great place, the white light. It doesn't matter how you really live. Oh, sure, the real, real bad guys will go to the bad place, probably mass murderers and the serial killers and the pedophile. But, you know, for us people that are basically good people, we'll all go to the, to the nice place. Yeah. Again, you've just made your own religion. Which is what most people do. They mo- my parents are the same way. Well, I basically believe I'm a good person. 
Who cares what you believe? If it's if your belief system takes you to hell, then your belief system's wrong. If your belief system contradicts the word of God, then your belief system's wrong. Okay? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So still a majority of people who have had near-death experiences describe it as magnificent and say it enriched their lives. Van Lomo explains, quote, the most important thing people are left with is that they no longer are afraid of death. Well, you know, I've read many accounts of people seeing hell and coming back, and they were so scared and so terrified of what they saw in hell that they, they, they almost basically went insane. You talk about somebody that will get saved quick. Oh yeah. You come back from hell, you're pretty much an instant convert. You know what I mean? There ain't too many people that have went to hell and didn't get saved real quick from the, from the accounts I've read. Okay? Imagine if, if that was the norm. If people consistently were coming back, and for one reason or another, the Lord lets these people be deceived, because ultimately, the Bible does say that He will send a strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. God is still on the throne. Yes, God is permitting this, but could you imagine if everybody that had these near-death experiences were seeing hell? Oh, things would be a totally different thing. People would actually really be getting saved as a result of these things, other than thinking that, no, there's nothing bad going to happen to me. It's actually the exact opposite of what should be happening. Most important thing these people are left with is that they are no longer afraid of death. Or God. They're not afraid of God either. Because to them, it's just this big, wonderful party after we die. This is because they have experienced that their consciousness lives on. That there, there is continuity. Their life and their identity don't end when their body dies. They simply have the feeling they're taking off their coat. But that may sound like it's coming from someone who's spent a little much time hanging around New Age bookstores. But what Van Lommel has seen is the near-death experiences are not limited to members of the, quote, spiritual community. They are just as prevalent among people who are extremely skeptical about the topic beforehand. In other words, they're just as, they're as prevalent with, with anybody that's unsaved or a witch or whatever. There's no real thing there. Uh... This one said, I became detached from my body, hovered within it and around it. It was possible to see surrounding bedroom and my body, through my, though my eyes were closed. I was suddenly able to think hundreds of thousands of times faster and with greater clarity than is humanly normal or possible. This is probably why when you go to hell, you're going to experience more and more because you're, going to, you're not going to have the constraints of a human body anymore to hold you back, your thinking processes, but you're probably also going to have the ability to suffer a lot more too as a result of that. Um... At this point I realized I accepted that I had died. It was time to move on. It was a feeling of total peace, completely without fear or pain. It didn't involve any emotions at all. And again, if Satan can give you this experience at the end of a life, and, and if that is what your reality is, and that's what you base your life on after you have this near-death experience, what hope is there that person really getting saved? Probably pretty slim to none, because that experience to them is going to take precedence over whatever the Bible says, most likely. And, and it's true because these people are totally different people in a bad way afterward. I mean, in a new age way they are. The most remarkable thing Van Lommel says is that his patients have such a conscious expanding experiences while their brains register no activity. But that's impossible according to current level of medical knowledge because most scientists believe that the consciousness occurs in the brain. All the brain is is a conduit for the, for the soul and the spirit. And when you're liberated from the earth suit or from your brain and your body, now you don't have the constraints of a human body 
which is tainted by sin, on you anymore. Now you can think and do, and, and, and this is why demonic entities many times have an advantage on us, because they don't have the constraints of a body to worry about. And we can't see them. Which, it would be like an enemy that you can't ever see, but you know is there. Just a little side note there. So, how can people experience consciousness while they're unconscious during a cardiac arrest? Well, I just explained that. So, then this guy, his account was, I saw a man who looked at me lovingly, but whom I did not know. At my mother's deathbed, she confessed to me that she had been born out of an extramarital relationship. My father, being a Jewish man who had been deported and killed during the Second War, and my mother showed me his picture. The unknown man that I had seen years before during my near-death experience turned out to be my biological father. Now, can you imagine how that would shake you? I have this near-death experience. I see my real dad who was actually killed in the war. My mother finally told me this on her deathbed or whatever. Oh yeah, that's impressive. Just like going to a psychic. Or a lot of the things that some of, you know, a lot of people experience with witchcraft. It's impressive. But, it, you know, that's why you got to be so careful. Because Satan is so good at what he does. Lomel says, for example, there was a man who saw his future family. Years later, he found himself in a situation he had already seen during his near-death experience. I suspect this is also the way Deja Vu works. Remember, Dionne Warwick was the one that wrote the song Deja Vu. Could this be the dream that I once knew? Seriously, she wrote a song like that. And then she started the Psychic Friends Hot Network or whatever. But yes, this Deja Vu thing has a lot to do many times with this whole um, past life regression and all this other stuff. According to Van Lommel's research, during a near-death experience, people can make contact with the dead, even those they don't know. So then, they asked Van Lommel, this is the pinnacle, this is where I'm going to end here. So there, so there is no last judgment after all. They, they asked this scientist this, after studying all these hundreds of cases of near-death experience, they asked him, so is there a last judgment after all? Dr. Van Lommel says, Absolutely not. No one is judged. It's an insight experience. Most people go through the flashback in the presence of being in, in presence in the presence of a being made of light. Isn't that funny? The Bible says that Satan can be transformed. It's no marvel if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. That his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Hmm. Isn't that funny that they always talk about that these near-death experiences always involved where no one's judged and that you get all this insight into your, into your life and that most of the people go through these flashbacks of, the, of their, the life they've lived in the presence of a being made of light. And yet if that was a true being made of light that was of God, why isn't he pointing that person to Jesus Christ in this near-death experience? Why would he be deceiving them? have to ask yourself that question. Why would God do that? Why would God, you know, He's permitting it to happen. But why would, He's not. And, and again, this is why this being of light, Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. And then, Van Lommel says, that being is entirely loving, absolutely accepting, without judgment. So you could have lived like the devil. It doesn't matter. We're all going to the same place. Uh, and if you and you, if you believe this, you can live any way you want to live, and you're still going to heaven. I can live like the devil. There's no accountability. See, people don't want accountability. That's the one thing they really don't want. They don't want to believe there's a God that could possibly judge them after this life, and they don't want to be accountable because they want to live like they want to live, and they want, they want to have no repercussions for what they do. 
That's what that's human nature, unfortunately. Then he says the flashback changes people's understanding of life. They adopt other values. They feel that they are one with nature and the planet. Oh, Mother Gaia. Isn't that nice? There is no longer any difference between themselves and others. It's not about power, appearance, nice cars, clothes, or a young body. It's about completely different things. Love for yourself. Oh, so self-centered type of stuff. For nature. Oh, isn't that a common theme of the New, of the new World Order and the New Age movement? Worshipping of nature. And the Bible even talks about that in Romans 1. For your fellow human beings. The message is as old as time, but now they've experienced it themselves and they have to live by it. And again, notice the one big thing that he says. Is there a judgment after our lives over? He says, absolutely not. No one judge. Well, you, Dr. Van Lommel, are a liar from the pit of hell. And I pray his mouth be shut. Because this man is going to take a lot of people to hell. I pray if it be possible, this man's soul be saved. But if he is just going to espouse this devil doctrine, I pray to God his mouth be shut. Because this guy, is. a lot of people are looking up to him. And he's got this big study that's been approved by the Lancet. He's taking a lot of people to hell. He's telling nobody's judged. It's, everything's unconditional. And it's a life in the pit of hell. So, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and end this out today with a word of prayer. And um, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. And Lord God, I do pray that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed in any way, shape, and form, Lord God. That you would cleanse us of presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us, Lord God. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight, O Lord. That we would be obedient, Lord God, to what you would tell us to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your blessings, Lord God. And Lord God, for that even the time you've let us live in, I do pray, God, that we would operate, not deceive, Lord God, but that you would guide us in all wisdom and understanding and truth, Lord God. Lord, I pray for your protection over the people here in this room, over the body of Christ. Lord God, that you would save our unsaved family members in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your fear would be upon us, the body of Christ, and the sin-sick world, Lord God, and that your fear... Lord God would humble these people and that they would get saved. For which a will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Pray to God, Lord, that the doctrines that we've talked about today that are of the devil be exposed. Lord God, that they be destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. And we claim Psalm 64, Lord God, over the evil entities, Lord God, that emanate and operate through these occultic techniques, through these deceptions, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not, and they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of lame and snares privily. They say, Who shall see them? They search out iniquities, they accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. We pray all these things, Lord God, that the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified, and that many would be saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Mm.